This morning we are on week five of our journey through the book Because of This I Rejoice, a study of Philippians. And our particular section of Philippians today is the whole third chapter where Paul teaches us about joyful asceticism, 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 asceticism. It's a really difficult word to say and spell and especially live. Merriam-Webster defines asceticism as this, the strict practice of self-denial as a measure of personal and especially spiritual discipline. It goes on to say that it's a condition, practice, or mode of life of an ascetic, and that it's rigorous abstention from self-indulgence. Sounds joyful, right? <laughs> and if you've studied ascetics before, you know that in their most extreme forms, they reflect this kind of severe and rigorous work. There are stories of people who would practice something called self-flagellation, which is taking a cord with knots on it and hitting oneself upon the back as they prayed. There were people who would wear things called hair shirts, which if you can imagine is like the really itchy hot wool sweater your grandma knit you. Imagine wearing that day and night and every time that it starts to irritate your body and you wanna scratch, you can't. And then there were those who moved away from all other human beings into the desert to be alone so they could be truly introspective. Using this framework, it might feel like we have hopped off the bus from having a joyful Lent, a lighthearted examination of how we can find joy in our relationship with God. You may be thinking at this point that you have fallen for some sort of bait and switch that Eric and I planned as we lured you in with promises of calm, joyful prayer, witnessing humility, hospitality, only to zing you with asceticism in the fifth week. But the truth is that there is another way to understand the practice of asceticism that's perhaps not quite so severe. In his book, Max writes that another way we can understand joyful asceticism is by pointing to the Greek root of the word, which is eskain. It means to practice, to exercise, to work. And Max suggests that perhaps in Philippians 3, this is what Paul is talking about when he points to asceticism. He's talking more in the way that an athlete would prepare their body for competition, a way of practicing and exercising to reach the goal that is before you. If you know me, you know that I'm not much of a sports person. I'm awkward and I'm clumsy and I really don't like competition. I'm always afraid I'm gonna be last and be horribly embarrassed. So I want to acknowledge that as we look at this definition of asceticism, as we think of it as an exercise or a practice, there are going to be some people listening who are like, absolutely, I grew up doing sports. I love playing soccer or tennis or baseball or football or some other sporty thing. 
And I completely resonate with the idea that you need to exercise your body to accomplish your goal. But there are going to be others of us, myself included, who look at the idea of faith as exercise and feel like you're telling us to wear a hair shirt. For me, exercise is not natural and sports are not my first language. And so to those who, like me, might shudder at the thought of faith being related to sports, let me give another image that might be helpful. Let's think about joyful asceticism as the divine Con Marie. Marie Kondo burst into the scene a few years ago, as you may know, and came up with this revolutionary idea for how we could all organize our lives. It hinges on a practice that first looks forward and asks ourselves, what is it we want? What do we want from our home? What do we want from our lives? How do we want the things that we own to function and be organized so that they don't take up too much of our time? Her practice is all about looking at what you have around you, picking it up and asking yourself, does this spark joy? If the answer is no, Marie Kondo and the KonMari method says, then you should set it down and walk away. Clear that out of your life. If it doesn't bring you joy, it doesn't have a place. In athletic training, athletes do something similar. They, they set down those things that would distract them, that would keep them from bringing their body to peak performance. And instead, they focus their time and their energy in honing in on the skills that they need to be successful in that particular sport. And this isn't just lifting weights or running. This gets down to the very things we fuel our bodies with. Athletes know to reach a goal, they must be prepared. They must be fueling their body, they must be hydrated, and they must be working on the skills that will make them successful at that sport or so I hear. In organizing, people begin to sort through all of their belongings, committing time, energy, and sometimes money to getting things in order because they can see that goal ahead. If they can somehow contain the clutter, if they can somehow get rid of the things that aren't important to them anymore, they can have their lives organized in such a way that they get to spend more time with friends and family and doing things that bring them joy. They know that if they can get their living space clean, they will have more freedom and joy in their lives because they have parted with those things that were just taking up space. In faith, asceticism invites us into a similar practice. It's all about setting down the things that are distracting us from the goals of our faith. It invites us to turn toward the goal of deeper relationship with God and to assess our lives and where we spend our time and our energy so that through self-denial and spiritual exercise, we can purge things that distract us and cause us to move away from God so that we can move closer to God. In Philippians 3, Paul introduces us to this practice of joyful asceticism by beginning with an invitation. His invitation is to set down practices of faith 
or ways of thinking and believing that distract us from the true goal of faith. While it's not entirely clear what Paul is meaning when he talks about dogs and evil people, while we don't really know what practices were impacting the original readers of this letter, what we can tell is that Paul is calling us to focus on what we do and to see what pulls attention away from God. What Paul is inviting us to realize is that there are some practices in our faith lives that point more towards what we do and how we control things instead of pointing towards God through Jesus Christ. What Paul points out here might actually be the trickiest part of asceticism especially when we're talking about the practice of self-denial. It can be very easy to slip from removing something from our lives to create a clear space for God to come in and work, to removing something from our lives because we feel like we need to punish ourselves or restrict ourselves so that we can get our body under control. I think sometimes where we can be led astray by this practice in Lent is when we try to deny ourselves from something. You know what I'm talking about, right? We talk about this a lot around Ash Wednesday where we're saying, what are you giving up for Lent? What are you giving up for Lent? What are you giving up for Lent? Sometimes what we choose to give up for Lent, what we abstain from or deny ourselves in this season, we do without first turning to the goal of growing closer with Christ. And so whether we decide to forego dessert or soda or even fast from a meal during the day, we get into trouble when the underlying motivation is all about proving to ourselves and others that we can do this and not about growing closer with God. So let's say you've decided to give up desserts. There is absolutely a way in which you can say, I have too much in my life. I do not need a sweet treat after every meal. And so for a season, I am going to abstain from eating sweets. I'm not gonna have dessert after every meal. And the reason I'm doing this is I realize that I rely on the luxury and ease of my life, and I need to start getting a clearer picture about how these things are distracting me from what God has called me to do. You see, that motivation points you towards God. It's giving up desserts, but it's giving up desserts so that you can gain a better understanding of how that is keeping you from a relationship with God and others. Too often, however, what it tends to look like is this. I'm giving up dessert because I wanna to prove to myself that for these 40 days of Lent, I cannot eat anything sweet. Too often, the result of this goal, of this motivation, is that for a few weeks we get to brag to our friends that we didn't eat anything sweet for 40 days, and then that sense of pride fades and we find that we're no closer to God. It's such a subtle distinction. Both ways of going about it give up the same thing, but that underlying motivation, that reason for being, that reason for doing, is what can change asceticism into a healthy, meaningful spiritual practice to something that we just do for our own pride. We do to bolster ourselves. The joy 
and joyful asceticism comes when we can be more like the first example, when we can give something up to clear the way for God to work within our lives, where we can clear an obstacle that would allow us to grow deeper in our faith, deeper in relationship with God, and deeper in love with others as we are taught in Scripture. For Paul, this work is so valuable that he in his own faith has been willing to lay aside his very pedigree. It says in today's Scripture that Paul was descended from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the original 12 tribes of Israel. He was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he had been brought up his whole life to the letter of the law. He was righteous in terms of the law. But he says in this scripture that that is worth nothing to him. Not because the law is worth nothing to Paul, but because if he does these actions to rely on his own power, his own ability to become righteous, he's missing the point. Paul teaches us that what really matters in our lives, what really gives us righteousness is Christ. To tell ourselves anything else is to be misled. In the book, Max reminds us that we face this same battle in church today. He says that we face temptation in the subtle suggestions that we deserve privileged places within the church because our parents gave a pew, our grandparents bought a stained glass window, or the land in which the church rests belonged to some distant relative. Worse still are the temptations that lead us to think that God owes us something and others should take notice of us because we've read the whole Bible. We pray 15 minutes every morning and give money to help the poor. Max goes on to say that such gifts are not bad, which I hope you see. Such gifts are not bad, but the temptation to place our confidence in them pulls us away from where our confidence should be, namely on the cross of Christ. When we practice joyful asceticism, we are directed towards the cross and toward Christ, and we can release that need to be in control, that need to be right, that need to be glorified and recognized by other people. When we let go of self, we begin to realize what truly matters, what truly deserves our time, what truly brings us joy. When we can do this, we are invited into a practice that can help us release our fear, fear of inadequacy, anxiety about what faith might cost us, because we realize that we are more than our work. We are children of God. The merit that we have in our lives through Christ cannot be earned through anything we do. And so we're free to release anything that would suggest that our value is somehow wound up in how righteous we can act or how hard we can push ourselves or how much we can work or how much money we can make or any other earthly title or power. 
The gift of practicing asceticism is that we can step back from the clutter of our lives and think about what brings us joy by thinking about what brings us closer to God. I imagine that working like a machine to produce and produce and produce and produce in this culture where we're told that our value is in our work doesn't really bring us true joy, does it? No, in fact, I read more articles now about how work is leading to burnout and I can see that it's because our work is not an extension of our true calling as children of God. We're working because we believe the more we can output, the more we can earn the company, the more we can show that we're good at our job, the more we believe people and even God will love us. But the truth is that we're not machines. We'll never be able to put out enough to satisfy some people. Where we're going to find true joy is realizing that God has never expected that. God did not create us to be machines. And if we can set down that urge to produce and be good enough and think that there's any way that we will portray the kind of righteousness we're called to have and instead focus on where Christ has already been at work in our lives, claiming us, loving us, and calling us righteous, we will be transformed. We can reclaim the joy that we have in life, the joy of giving out of service from the things we're gifted to do, the joy of working because we know it makes a difference, the joy of living in the assurance of the grace of God. In this grind culture, the true gift of asceticism is that when we reorient ourselves so that we are first facing towards the goal of God, realizing the gift of grace that comes in Christ, when we strive in that direction, we will always find joy. We will always find satisfaction. We will always find happiness, even when the journey is difficult. Even when we go through hard times, we will know joy because we have aligned ourselves in the direction of God and we have pushed aside all other obstacles. I hope that you will listen this week to the podcast we've been putting out. If you, you haven't heard the last few, you can find them on our website. But this week, Eric and I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Dennis Muzahuzi, who's our new youth pastor. And Dennis grew up playing soccer. Dennis is a really good soccer player. He's coached college students. He's coached high school students. And so we asked Dennis in the interview to tell us about what he learned in all those years of soccer. And, and you know what Dennis shared? And it really touched my heart, even as someone who doesn't play sports. It even tempted me to learn soccer. He said that when he was younger, he, he aspired to be the greatest, the best, to, to really be a professional soccer player. And as he grew and played more and more, he realized that maybe that wasn't the end goal for him. And once he found the joy in just playing the game, the way that he approached the entire sport was different. He could just be present. He could enjoy the practice. He could enjoy the team. He could see it in a new way. And even when they would lose matches or have a really hard game, he could still have joy because he knew that the goal wasn't winning. The goal was playing because it was something that he loved. 
I think of that in my own life. When I can turn my attention from thinking about how I can be right and accomplish it the best and be number one and just enjoy the journey, sometimes I find so much more meaning in all of my faith practices. When I can release having to have the right kind of prayer, saying the correct words, I can find that there is joy and life and growth. I had the pleasure this week of uh, sitting down with a class I'm teaching on Wednesday nights. It's on faith and racial healing. And my goodness, is it difficult work. We have been reading about race in America and in the church, and it's, it's heartbreaking. And it can feel really overwhelming to think about the ways that white supremacy is in so many of our institutions, even our beloved church. But you know, I find hope in being in that conversation with the people gathered there. And, and this week we invited a guest speaker and a professor. And he told us that when he's having these difficult conversations about race, he likes to tell people to think about draft speaking, which means you just, it's a draft. You just say what you're trying to say and realize that it may not be right and you may need to edit it. You may make a mistake, you may misspeak and you may hurt someone but that you can take the feedback, you can change, you can learn, and you can grow. I love that so much for the life of faith. Thinking about how we can live our life of faith as a draft, because as long as we're pointed towards God, we can always edit, we can always remove this thing that really became a distraction, we can always let go of this thing that's not bringing joy or relationship with God and others. We can always change and move and grow and know that if we just show up for the practice, it's going to get better. That I think is the beauty of asceticism. As hard as it is to say, <laughs> as hard as it is to spell, as unbelievable as it can sound. Sometimes when we just show up knowing that when we can let go of some things, God can enter in we can find true joy and freedom in our faith. So it is my prayer for us this week that as we go about our lives, whether we are running, practicing sports, cleaning out our house, praying, witnessing, showing hospitality, showing humility, we will do all of it knowing that our goal is to rest in the confidence that Christ has already given us, knowing that our goal is to be at one with God and with Christ and with one another, and knowing that if we just show up to work, to practice, to exercise our faith, God will be there and joy will come. Thanks be to God. Amen.